Take your Bibles if you want to go to Luke chapter 1. And uh, while we're turning there, I just want to remind you, or at least, at least share with you, if you have an inclination to sing, this is the perfect time to do so. Uh, during this time where we can't uh, sing together as a congregation, but we can certainly still praise the Lord, as Tyler has al already said that. And the Bible even says that we should make a melody in our hearts, singing to the Lord. Uh, there in the New Testament. But, so it's good. It's, I appreciate that very much. Um, Luke chapter 1. Good morning again, and welcome to Holmfields Baptist Church. You know, despite all that's going on in the world today, I still am thrilled to be in the Lord. I still am thrilled to be able to, to meet with the Lord, to meet in His house, to worship Him, uh, to see Him high and lifted up. And I truly hope each of us here today, this morning, uh, knows personally the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I, I, I get it. You know, sometimes we, we go in church and we're in church for a very long time and we get used to the church lingo, the church dress or the church, however you want to however you want to call it. But if it's nothing new in here and it's all for naught, we have to make sure that we know the Lord. And I truly hope each of us know the Lord here this morning. Uh, but I want us and I'm thrilled that we are in the Lord, that, that he is our savior. And I don't know if I can say more than that, but in addition to that, maybe I can say that he is my friend. The Lord is my friend. I hope that when you meet with him in your devotions, you can talk to him as your friend. A friend of sinners, Jesus is called. That means he's closer to you, should be, than your spouse, than your children, than your boss, than whoever it may be in your life. Jesus is that closest friend. He is the, uh, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The friend that will never forsake us. He absolutely loves us. And as we go into the Christmas season here this morning and this, this month, uh, not only does God love us, God loves working in us and working through us. He loves doing the impossible. I think that's very clear in the scripture. He loves doing what we deem impossible. And with that said, I want us to begin reading right here in Luke chapter 1. Let's talk about what's impossible. Uh, let's begin reading right there in verse number 26. The Bible says, And in the sixth month, of, uh, the, sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27 says, To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? See, and I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Verse 36 says, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, 
This is the angel continuing to speak where she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, that would be John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary responds the only way she knew how. In verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. So, so much for this holiday that we that we've set apart to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you became man. You were robed in flesh. Lord, it's no surprise the the angels sang that the angels brought rejoicing to you, lit up that dark Galilean or that dark uh, Jerusalem sky that evening and scared the shepherds. Lord, but fear not. Good tidings you've brought to us, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, that, that you've sent your only begotten Son, the light of the world veiled in the womb of a woman. Lord, what a, what a God you are. What a Savior you are. And Lord, help us this morning to, to study your word, to see what you have for us, Lord. We're going to look at Mary, as you know already, the message that you've been giving me. Lord, I pray that you can convey through me to them what you've already given to me. And Lord, I pray that you meet with us. Meet with us in a, way, in a way that we know that we've been with Jesus this morning. Lord, help us to put away all the, the differences, all the restrictions, all the, all the worries and the concerns and the excitement about any other thing in this world. And let us be 100% all in focused on you this morning. Lord, help us meet with us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You know, contrary to some... Creation is impossible without God. Creation is impossible without God. But as Luke one thirty seven states, for God, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, if you think about it and you study through the Old Testament, it was impossible for Sarah to give birth. But she did. It was impossible for Rebecca to give birth. But she did. And it was impossible for Elizabeth to give birth. But she did. And here in our text, God reached, reaches down into the life of a poor Jewish handmaid named Mary, and he performed the impossible. The impossible. And not just with the virgin birth of Christ. There's so much more than just that, if I can say just that. From the prophecies fulfilled in the Old Testament and the New, and to all of his precious promises, as Peter calls them, from the manger to the cross, to him walking out of that tomb, God performed the impossible. The impossible. And I want to tell you this morning that God can still perform the impossible. He is the God of impossibilities. He can still do it today. So when all hope seems to be lost in whatever situation that you're in, it doesn't matter. 
And by the way, the greatest situation, the most dire situation is us in our sin. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Don't forget about God. He ever liveth, ever liveth to make intercession for us. Not just for us as a church. You could actually say very biblically, very scripturally, very theologically, he ever liveth to make intercession for Bill Inslee, for Harry, for Olga, for Tyler. He ever liveth to make intercession for every single one of us. I firmly believe that when Christ was on the cross, his name crossed my, crossed his mind. My name crossed his, his mind. If you can even say that, he's God, he's, out, he's outside of time. He knew me on the cross and he knew you. And while Jesus is eternal, Luke tells us that this eternal God decided to set his eternality aside for a moment, his glory aside for a moment, and be born into this world as a man. And of all the Jewish women of the day, the Holy Spirit of God chose Mary. Let me think about that for a moment. He chose Mary. And I know that in our day and age, especially in Bavaria here, we as the Baptists, as one who tried to preach the Bible, we get scared of preaching about Mary. But God chose Mary. Let's not forget that. God chose Mary. On one hand, she's just another woman created and redeemed by God. But on the other, she was highly favored. She was highly favored by God and blessed among women. And this morning, I want to give you five truths about Mary that I think can encourage us. In fact, I entitled this message this morning, Re ignore the reference. It's the wrong reference. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1. Uh, but we're going to talk about her being highly favored. Look at uh, verse number 28 again. The Bible says, The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then look at verse number 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. First, we're going to talk about Mary's status. Mary's status. You know, even though God told her that she was highly favored, even though God told her that she was blessed among women, Mary, what did Mary refer to herself as? A lowly handmaiden. A servant. A slave. A humble slave, she called herself. And I think her conclusion of herself could very well have to do, have something to do with God's conclusion of her. Think about what her life would have been like. Mary, 2,000 some years ago. Modest, not rich, lowly, handmaiden. If you can actually directly translate that into, you know, into something that we would understand, a almost fell there. But a female slave, a female house slave. She considered herself a female house slave of God. I think she was all in. <laughs> I think she was all in. Think again about what her life, you know, think about her. Her dedication to the Lord. She had the completed Old Testament. She had the books of Moses all the way to Second Chronicles. And I say Second Chronicles because that's the order of the Jewish Old Testament. All the way to the end. She had it all. She knew the law. She studied the Proverbs. She probably sang the Psalms. She wasn't rich in materials, but she was rich in faith. And she was engaged to a young godly carpenter. And I think what she knew to be right, she did her best to accomplish. Again, all this is kind of, 
a, a deduction of God's choosing her, but I think it has to be true. She could not see the future, but she loved the Lord. She loved his law. And I think very easily we can come to the conclusion that she meditated in the law day and night. I mean, think about this. Could she... Proverbs 31 talks about a virtuous woman. How can that not be Mary? It has to be. Now, granted, the virtuous woman there in Proverbs 31 is an older woman, and I think Mary grew into that, but we see the characteristics. We would have to see the characteristics of a virtuous woman in Mary's strength and honor or her clothing, Proverbs 31 says, and she will rejoice in time to come. Mary was a faithful woman. And she was blessed among women. In fact, you could say that she found favor with God. How do you find things? You look for them. She found favor with God because she was looking for it. That word favor is translated 156 times in the New Testament as grace. Grace. And this, not surprisingly, maybe it's the first occurrence in the New Testament. Matthew doesn't mention grace. Mark doesn't mention grace. Luke mentions grace. Third book of the Bible. First time it's used. And God reserved that first occurrence of grace for Mary. Again, that shouldn't surprise us. If you remember the first occurrence for grace in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is in Genesis 6-8, where Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So Noah found grace because he was looking for it, and Mary found grace because she was looking for it. You see, Mary's status of being highly favored with God began with her being obedient to what she knew, what she knew to be right. And very simply this morning, may this be our status. May this be our status. May we be obedient to what we know. And in and, and our day and age, and, and our church uh, and, and, and the churches around the world and Christianity, if we can just get, can I say it like this? If we can just get Christians to be obedient to what they know to be right, it would be already different in that. It would be already different. Obedient to what she know, Mary. That's, what, that's who Mary was. That's why she was highly favored. But unbeknownst to Mary, God had a special plan for her. God chose her for a special place in history. She was about to have a very peculiar visit, one that she could not have foreseen. I don't know, think about, you know, we, we look at this, these, these stories here and we, and we read about Zacharias meeting this angel in the, in the temple there. We, meet about, we, we read about Mary being, being met by an angel and those shepherds being met by an angel. But how would you react if an angel was standing right here? I mean, I think we would be a little bit different. I think we'd be like those shepherds and we'd be quaking. We'd be like Isaiah, woe was me for I'm undone. And that's just an angel. Mary was obedient and she, she, she had a conversation with an angel. Look at verse 28 and 30 again. The Bible says, And the angel came in unto her. And think about this, this, this great and mighty angel, very divine to her, very godlike, very bright. Or you know, The Bible doesn't go into all those details, but... The angel breaks the silence in Mary's fear, no doubt, says, Hail, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 29 tells us she's troubled. <laughs> no kidding. 
No kidding. First we saw her status. I want to now look at her surprise, just moving quite along here. When you see me moving quite along, that means there's more than just three points. So. <laughs> but uh, we see Mary's surprise. The Bible tells us that she was troubled at his saying, troubled, disturbed. She was confused, surprised. And she cast in her mind, what kind of salutation is this? Who in the world is coming here to tell me this, this godlike being, this angel, is telling me that I'm highly favored? Who am I? Who am I? And he continues and says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Now think about her reception of that. Think about that for a moment. You're there. I've never been a woman. I've never been pregnant or obviously right. But she's there. She's a woman. And this angel meets her and says, you're going to have a baby. I mean, I think she's a little confused. The Bible says she's troubled at his saying. And she responds in verse 34. How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. How shall these things be? She was surprised and shocked in what we could see as unbelief. But before we give Mary a hard time on this matter, I think she was asked to believe something that defied knowledge. She was asked to believe in the impossible. She was asked to believe something that flew in the face of every scientific discovery of the day. And we can park there for a moment, couldn't we? She was asked to believe that she was going to have a child without any assistance of man. You know, if you read through this chapter here, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, you have noticed the angel, he had a little different response with Mary than he had with Zacharias. Zacharias didn't fare too well for nine months. Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist, and after Gabriel told Zacharias that he and his wife would have a child in their old age, as godly as a man as Zacharias was, and we know that he was an obedient, righteous man, he was also troubled by the news. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Almost the same question that Mary has. For I am an old man. And my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto them, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. You know, he could have just stopped right there. I stand in the presence of God. What in the world is too impossible for me? And I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. i got to be honest with you. I think I would probably be closer to Zacharias' response than I would Mary's. God, what God required of Zacharias, again, was a little different than what he required from Mary. In fact, what he required of Mary has not been required of any other woman in all of history. You know, with Abraham, Isaac, and even Zacharias, there was an element of human action mixed with their faith. God alone, of course, performing the supernatural act. And yes, God brought life into the dead wombs of Sarah and Rebecca and Elizabeth. But he required the man and woman to come together in faith and action. There was an element that, that man had to do something. And Zacharias, like Abraham and Isaac, no doubt prayed for God to bring life into Elizabeth's womb, into their wives' wombs. But when his prayer was answered, he didn't believe it. 
I mean, Zacharias knew the stories. He knew all the things about Abraham and Sarah. And there's even a couple other ones in there. But when he, and he prays this his own life, she's well stricken in age. She's probably pushing around 80 years old. The angel comes to him and says, your prayer is answered. She's going to have a wife. He's like, or have a child. And he's like, I don't think so. He did believe. So he's been praying for something and his prayers were answered. But God caught Mary by complete surprise. She was not praying for such. We have no indication that Mary was expecting to be expecting. Before marriage, she was not praying for pregnancy. She was simply obedient to what she knew to be right. Again, may that be our lot. She was obedient, but she was also troubled. You know, if you think about it, God just didn't promise to bring supernatural life into her womb. He promised to bring the author of life into her womb. And in verse 35, the angel said unto her, The holy thing which shall be born unto thee shall be called the Son of God. The Son of God. Which brings us quickly to our, to our next point. We see Mary's status, Mary's surprise, and look at Mary's son. You know, talk about humility. Mary considered herself a handmaiden of low estate. And that she was. God states that all have sinned and come short of his glory. Mary was a sinner. So he, God, condescended himself to allow that humble handmaiden, a woman made of clay, a fallen sinful being of low estate, to be his earthly mother. That's our God. The son of Mary was the son of God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. You know, with the conception of Christ in her womb, the entire course of human history changed. Course corrected, if you will. Yes, God knew all things and it was a part of the plan. But without Christ, there's no hope in this dark world. You see, the light of the world again was veiled in the womb of a woman. The light of the world, the creator of the world was born. The eternal king of kings was to be conceived in a time-bound womb so that he could be born subject to time. I can't get over the fact that God became man. I hope that's something that resonates in your hearts and in your minds, that it, it at least crosses your thoughts on a daily basis. God became man. Let's not get over that. If there's ever going to be an amen, let there be an amen that God became man. God became man. Without Christ, there is no hope. Again, the eternal King of Kings, the Creator, the Redeemer, was in the womb of a woman made of clay. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. Look at verse 31. He says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know, this passage here, these few verses here, is actually a prophecy. It's a twofold prophecy, and it's actually a restatement some, uh, of some passages found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel which you've already heard means God with us. And Isaiah chapter 9, as we heard last Sunday evening, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, 
And unto us a son is given 600 years before the birth of Christ now, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with, a, with judgment and with justice from henceforth for Ever. And verse 33 of Luke chapter 1 states that he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And for the record, that word forever is a reference to time and, a refer and, the, and the phrase there shall be no end is a reference to geographical space. Jesus is the king of all, the creator of all, the king of all things. He shall reign over it all. And this God... This king of kings, this creator who snapped the world into a, not even a snap, he spoke the world into, a, into existence, chose his earthly origin to begin in the womb of Mary, a virgin, a woman of, we would never know anything about if this didn't happen. And by the way, the text where it says virgin means exactly what it says. She was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a woman who had never known a man. It was a miraculous birth, an impossible birth, a birth that could only happen with God and by God. Jesus was not an Esau. He was not even an Isaac. He was God in the flesh. God in the flesh. And as one Bible commentator put it, to not believe in the virgin birth of Christ is to not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. One can hardly call themselves a Christian without belief in the virgin birth of Christ. For without the virgin birth of Christ, Jesus would be just another man. Hebrews 4.15 states that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And 1 John 3.5 states, And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. He is the sinless God-man. He is the sinless God-man. And as for the fulfillment of this prophecy, God did in fact become flesh. Jesus, look at that verse again, He shall be great. Verse 31 talks about Him becoming flesh. Verse 32 says, He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. All these things are true and already have occurred. And the Lord shall give unto Him the throne of His father David. But before and in between those passages there, between the Son of the Highest... And before the phrase, Lord God shall give unto his throne, the throne of his father David, there's the cross. The cross. And actually, we're still living in that pause right there. But Jesus Christ, as we spoke about last week, he was crucified. He's not just the baby in the manger anymore. He's not just that, that cuddly little Christmas story anymore. That Christmas story ends in blood. It ends in the cross. It ends with Him paying our sin debt. Well, that cross for you and me and for the whole world, He came to be King, but the crown came through the cross. The crown of His majesty came after a crown of thorns. Jesus came to be crucified. In Matthew 1.21, the angel told Joseph that his wife shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's only one way to do that, and that's through the cross. Later on in Luke chapter 2, Simeon would clue in Mary a little bit on this idea of her son paying that price by saying, A sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. 
You see, the whole purpose of the incarnation of Christ again was the crucifixion of Christ. And if you read through Luke 1 and 2, you'll see Mary starting to ponder these things. A little, even a little bit after the, the Christmas story, if you will, Mary is pondering some things. Of course, she was troubled at the angel's words. Of course, she didn't understand how the Son of God could enter this world through her. And, and, and why her? Of course, she was confused on how it could actually happen. How could she conceive without a man? How can these things be, seeing I know not a man, she says. But notice again the angel's words and her response in verse 37 and verse 38. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, and verse 35, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And verse 37 says, With God nothing shall be impossible. Mary's response, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy will. We're going to look at Mary's surrender here. There's not much really to say about that. It's just nothing short of amazing. I mean, she had a real question. I mean, look at that question. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angels answer to her. Again, Mary had a real question. She was a real person like you and me. She had a real question. So let me ask you this real question. Do you think she got the answer she was looking for? If, if she was told that she's going to be with child, without a man, she asked, how is that going to be? Did God answer the details? Did the angel's answers fit into the category of our logic? In other words, Mary asked how this could happen, and he responded, God's going to make it happen. He didn't go into the details. He just said, God's going to make it happen. Now, he said, you're not going to have just any normal child. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. You're going to have a son, Mary, but that son is going to be the Son of God. And if you think that's impossible, don't worry about the details, Mary. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how any other Jewish girl would have reacted. I mean, I don't know. He didn't go into detail. He just said, with, I mean, could you imagine you're going to maybe a superior in your workplace, and he tells you to do something. You have no idea how he's going to do it. He just said, make it happen. I'll take care of it. I was driving, and I used to be an 18-wheeler for a number of years. All right, not an 18-wheeler, a driver of an 18-wheeler. <laughs> I can't do that. But when I was four, I did want to be a fire truck. I don't know how that worked out. But anyway, so I was driving a truck and I was in West Virginia and there is this interstate called Interstate 68. I don't know if you've ever been onto it or not, but it's kind of winding. It's really, really long. There's two runoff, runoff truck ramps on that thing. And I was driving with my daddy. He was in the back of the sleeper sleeping the first or second time. And we've been driving for a year together. And I think that's the first or second time he actually had the, the nerve to sleep while I was driving. And, and he taught me all. I didn't go to school. He taught me everything I knew. Anyway, so... He always told me this one thing. If you're ever in a place you can't drive and you know it's beyond your abilities, just stop. Don't worry about what the world says. Don't worry about the people behind you. Just stop. It's better than killing yourself and certainly better than killing somebody else. So we were coming up this, this, uh, this road and it was, you couldn't even see the width of, of the length of this building. You couldn't see so much snow coming down. The, it was slipping a little bit, you know, and I'm thinking at the top of that hill, there's a rest area. I can just pull off on that rest area and I'm good. And I'm driving and I'm driving and I realized 
that I just passed the rest area because I couldn't see it. And, and on the other side of that rest area is 13 miles down to the bottom of that thing. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so I just, I, I, I listened to him. Take it, you know, put it in the right gear, pull it over a little bit, put my flashers on, hoping nobody can run in the back of me because the visibility was not that great. And I woke him up, and he's like, what's wrong, boy? And, uh, and I told him, I was like, I missed the rest area. I'm not comfortable driving this. He's like, all right, I'll take care of it. So he gets behind the wheel, and we were a little bit stuck because I pulled too far off the road. And... He pulls out into the, what we call the hammer lane, all the way over in the left-hand lane, right? And he does that to get out. And there's nobody behind us that we can see anyway, 500 feet at least. And when he does that, the trailer behind him goes like this. I mean, all the way out like this. I mean, perpendicular. And there was a, a sign there that pretty much said, you know, hill, 13 hill, you know, go to the lower gear or something like that, you know? And I, I'm looking at the mirror and I roll my window, I look out and I see... I said, Ted, the, the trailer. And he says, don't worry about the trailer. And I turned and looked at him, and I'm not making this up. I looked back out the window, and that trailer was right behind the truck. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I still don't know how he did it. But that truck, that trailer went right behind there, and we went all the way down that hill. And he kept driving the rest of the night, and I went to bed. So, But <laughs> he just knew how he was doing it. Now, when he told me, I'll take care of that, I had no idea. There's no way that he can get that trailer to go straight. But he did it. I don't know how he did it. Maybe God even did it. I do not know. But think about that. When God is sending this angel to tell Mary, and he's telling them, I'll take care of it. I'm going to be honest with you. When my dad said, I'll take care of it, I did not believe. I would have been marked dumb if I were here. Stop talking. You can't talk into the trailer straight. You know, which I didn't. I was speechless anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But Mary... Look at her response. She didn't respond like I would have. And I would submit she wouldn't respond like the majority of the world. She says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Again, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty spectacular. I mean, I can just envision that the angel's there. He's talking to her. I can see her getting on her knees and just throwing her eyes out. Behold. Be it unto thee. Be it unto me according to thy word. She didn't understand it all. She didn't know the future. She didn't know how Joseph would respond. She didn't know how her parents would react. I mean, these are real concerns. And Jesus responds with, be it unto me according to thy word. She trusted God. In the midst of all, against all logic, she trusted God. She surrendered her logic to his logic, to God's logic. And in her surrender, I think we find a wonderful, great, spectacular example how to follow God today as Christians. You know, God has not asked us to trust him with more than he's asked Mary. Less. We have an easy life. We're the, we're the believers in the last hour, if you will. Those who bore the heat of the day for all of time, we're here in the last hour. We can just say those simple, wonderful words, I believe. I believe. And of course, believe in our hearts. May our response, when God asks us to do things, whether that be salvation or even beyond salvation, may our response be no less than Mary's. Every one of our responses should be, Here am I, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Whether it's baptism, whether it's joining the church, rededicating your life back to Christ, our response should be, Here am I, Lord, 
Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, whatever God has placed on your heart, whatever God has placed or will place on your heart, whether it be loving him more, serving him more, sacrificing more, or even a complete surrender to full-time ministry, hear my Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And before we close this morning, I believe God has one more truth to highlight from this text before we close. I know it's a little late, but I want to point out one more thing. After traveling to see the mother of John the Baptist, Mary, and hearing about how he leaped in the womb when he was near Christ, that's John the Baptist, Mary, she couldn't contain that excitement anymore. Listen to Elizabeth's words and Mary's reaction beginning there again in verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. We've looked at a number of things here this morning, but let's never miss the point of Mary's Savior. Mary responded truly, again, the only way a believer, a believer can respond. She magnified God. She magnified her Savior. Yes, she was a handmaiden of low estate. Nothing, if you will, nothing in the, in the world's idea for sure. But the Lord regarded her. The Lord regarded her. And not only that, Mary regarded God. She regarded God as her Savior. She knew without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, if anybody really knew that the child within her was from God, it was Mary. She knew that she was not with a man. She knew that it was from God. She knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. And even though God chose her, God blessed her, God found favor with this earthly mother of Jesus Christ, Mary regarded herself as his lowly handmaiden and him as her Lord and Savior. Jesus was her Lord and Savior. In fact, in all of Scripture, all of the New Testament, you can find one command from Mary. One command. She tells one person, well, she tells people to do one thing, the only thing in all of Scripture, and she says, do whatever Jesus says. The only command that Mary ever gave. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And furthermore, the word regard means to look upon. God looked upon Mary. And I'm here to tell you this morning that regardless of who you are in this world, God is looking upon you. God is looking upon you. He has not only recognized your wretchedness, but He has paid for your sin. He has atoned for every one of your sins. Remember, without the personal atonement of your sins by the blood of Christ, Christmas is pointless. Why even celebrate it? Why go through all the, the lights and why go through all that nonsense, if you will, if you don't know Christ? It's pointless. It's just, it might as well be Halloween. It means nothing. But on the other hand, if Christ has paid for your sins, and He has, by the way, if He has made a way for you to personally have eternal life, and He has, and if He's looking upon you, and He is, and if He's not willing that you should perish and go to a devil's hell, and He is not, then why not make Christmas what it really is supposed to be? 
the celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Christ as your Savior. I know I preach this every Sunday, and I don't ever want to stop preaching it, but if you leave this world without Christ, you're going to go to a devil's hell forever. Forever. We need Christ. He is looking upon you. He is stretching out His hands and saying, Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. You know, not only will receiving Christ be the best Christmas gift you can ever receive, it is also the best gift you could ever give to Jesus Christ. Trust Him today. Even if, like Mary, you don't understand any of this, how can this be? Trust God. Hear my Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You know, He greatly desires for us to know Him. And as Christians, wherever you are in your walk with them, as we kind of wind down this morning, there is always room. There is always room to say, here am I. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. Let's pray.